Hello, and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven, and I'm very glad that you're joining us again today. Today, we're going to have a very interesting conversation, a dialogue between a dear friend and colleague of mine, Kurt Johnson, who has been on these airwaves numerous times over the course of years, because uh, Kurt brings so much life and knowledge and wisdom to the table, having been uh, for so many years a renowned author, scientist, former monk, and a thought leader of the interspiritual movement. Kurt's written a few books that have been highly acclaimed and has recently returned from a visit to the Dalai Lama with Professor David Sloan Wilson, where both were invited by His Holiness to discuss the biological basis and evolutionary role of altruism and cooperation. In effect, an entirely new way uh, to look at our evolutionary mandate and the way we got here, a new way of understanding the Darwinian perspective. It's a much more enlightened one and I think a much more accurate one. Kurt and I have had the pleasure of discussing this many a time. And we're going to as well today, in light specifically of an arena that has just been um, amazing and puzzling everyone worldwide. And, well, that's the political arena uh, worldwide also, but we're going to be looking mostly at what's going on in Washington, D.C., in the White House, and Congress, and the way these folks are negotiating, dealing with, addressing, and in many cases avoiding facts and coming up with counter-narratives that are confusing all and uh, actually having a denigrating effect on the idea of truth and facts altogether. So with that in mind, we're going to pick up and uh, dive right into this landscape that is fertile, to say the least, and uh, see what both of us have to say about it. So, Kurt Johnson, welcome back to A Better World. A pleasure to have you again. No, oh, Mitchell, thank you so much. It's really uh, great to be here. And like you said, it's a, uh, it's quite an enticing topic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very true, very true. And I just want to say that uh, Kurt and I are part of a uh, certain email loop where we do touch on the kind of current topics of the day. It's a little bit like uh, – the third rail, like, oh, my God, what's happened today? Rachel Maddow is always making reference to what happens on Friday nights, as, as does Chris Hayes on MSNBC. It's like uh, they know that unlike the rest of, you know, U.S. history, Friday nights happen to be particularly pregnant with um, – with revelations of one sort, someone getting fired, someone getting hired, new judges, conservative judges getting appointed, uh, military moves happening in Syria, Afghanistan, or what have you. You just don't know what time the next shoe is going to fall. So, Kurt, how would you like to kind of lay out the uh, the landscape a little bit that we can start to talk into? Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, because I actually thought about that a bit uh, and just – created a little bit of framing here before we started, yes, but I just also wanted to say that, yes, this um, this email tree that we're a part of is, is very f nice because 
there are many of us in that tree that watch a lot of articles around the world and things in different news media, and these are things that we wouldn't individually see day-to-day. So when they're dropped into uh, this email tree as a, as a reference for us, then we're really able, like you said, to see what's really coming up almost on a day-by-day basis. So it, it's been yes. uh, one of the resources that we've had for following a lot of this stuff, which otherwise, because everyone's so busy, we might not. So the way that I, I thought of this just really briefly is that mm-hmm. a good way to frame this is that, you know, we start out historically with a country that has actually been the model for democracy and Republican democracy in the world with norms and standards written and unwritten for decades, if not you know over uh, over a century. And then what happens is somebody comes along, uh, which in a sense maybe the founders didn't even anticipate, who's out to who brings to that one being a demagogue, which means he's able to convince a lot of people who may not think critically. Also is a TV personality, which means people project onto him a certain authority or a certain, um, you know, uh, bona fide-ness. It's celebrity, exactly. And uh, what happens then, if that's a person who is out to upset all of those norms, knowingly or unknowingly, but actually is all about upsetting all of those norms, written and unwritten, for instance, saying or joking that he'd like to be president for life, Uh, You know, flaunting the law over and over and over, surrounded by people who are now in prison, over a dozen, uh, who all say they were taking direction from him. But as is kind of typical of mafia structures, the the dawn lives Mm -hmm. on, but everyone else goes to prison. So not only flaunting the law, Mm -hmm. but flaunting the separation of powers. And uh, in doing that, also, as you said, dealing almost exclusively, particularly with time, with a false narrative. And so what happens is that once you have a situation where a major political figure who's garnering a lot of backing is actually doing that on a basis of a false narrative, then it starts to really parallel a lot of the other great dictatorships or great tragedies mm-hmm. that have happened in the world. You know, from uh, There was actually a program on National Geographic uh, a few months ago that, that traced the history of 15 really pernicious dictatorships going back to Hitler and Stalin and Pinochet and go through the whole list. But they all have certain things in common with how this progression is of flaunting the law, flaunting the constitution of that country, re- replacing those norms. So to put it in a nutshell, and this is actually what was the you know the generation of our deciding to do this discussion on your program, is it brings up... Yes a ton of top-down questions and a ton of bottom-up questions. It's multi-layered uh, in the sense of everything that one can talk about. So given that that's a very, very broad landscape and it's top-down yes. to bottom-up, we can start from there. But I think anybody who's yes. listening to this conversation is and has shared this concern about this particular president and this particular administration, they get it from the get-go. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's a really good framing, Kurt, and I'm very glad that this is what you uh, wanted to have, in a sense, as a starting point, because to look historically at leaders' behavior, people in positions of prominent political or economic power, but here we're looking mainly at political, 
because political also goes hand in hand with military power in our day and age, and usually did. So to see what is going on in light of a history of dictators over the past 100 to 200 years, and that there is a growing number of them spreading around the world, gaining populist positions as leaders of their nations, respectively. You know, we see this in Hungary. We see this to some extent in Africa. We see it in India, uh, you know, which is, again, the largest democracy in the world. We see this growing North Korea, of course, uh, Russia. We see this growing sentiment and oppressiveness. And we have this sort of almost drunken attitude here in the United States that it couldn't happen here. We're the, as you say, model democracy. But that's how important this conversation is here between us, but also for all those listening and all of those who have been weighing in in their own respective contexts with their friends and colleagues to have this discussion that we have someone in office who uh, a book was written about by leading psychologists from uh, Yale University and others showing his pathology and his abuse of power has, you know, of course, a psychoanalytic uh, antecedent and that we need to be aware. This is all in the context of the conversation, is he fit for president? And the answer really is not at all. And interestingly, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, all the Republicans except for maybe Jeff Sessions, at the beginning, were appalled at his nomination, let alone anything else. Paul Ryan, if you remember, everyone, Boehner prior to him, everyone was solidly opposed and saying that he's not really a Republican. They don't really know what he is, except for what you were saying, uh, kind of a reality TV star and a rather failed businessman at that. That's a whole other conversation. And uh, quite a mobster as well, with evidence, by the way. And so here we have a guy who is bullying everyone else on stage. Everybody detests him and speaks about how lowly the fellow is and that he basically doesn't deserve to be on the stage with these other, whether we agree with them or not, much more dignified people who all have one level or another of government experience. So your thoughts yeah, about that? So I, I think, yeah, I think you know what's really important to point out here is that What's in common to how all of these things happen, like if you looked at this history of 15 dictatorships that National Geographic had this three-hour special on it, it ends up being what we're already seeing happening here, where those countries start out with a constitution, which actually is their rule of law, but it gets mm -hmm. subverted step by step to a personality. This is where you go from being a republic to being a banana republic and then from a banana republic to a, a dictatorship. So what happens, and we see it already happen with what's happening now with the impeachment process and how that's been handled, is that the Constitution and its norms actually fall into the background, 
And then what mm-hmm. emerges then is loyalty to the personality. And the yes. loyalty to the personality then makes people either forget about or they're blind to or, or whatever it is relative to what the former norm used to be. Now, there's actually yes. a field called psychosociology that studies this with regard to governmental structures, business structures, religious structures of how these autocratic dominance hierarchies evolve. And what mm-hmm. actually happens is that, first of all, the what was the rule of law, what was the Constitution, gets backgrounded by a personality. But that personality, as one of the greatest examplers, the people that, that Hitler surrounded himself with, is that the person gradually surrounds themselves with others who buy into that or who have a lot to gain from that or tremendous amount to gain from that. And they, so you get these concentric circles of pathology where you get these mm-hmm. yes men in the inner circle yes. and then yes men in the second circle and yes men in the, in, 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 in the third circle. The third and circle. so what happens then is that the leader then, and we see that Trump has already done this, he creates um, rewards or he creates exemptions for those people where their access to wealth or their access to breaking certain laws and having people just close their eyes to that, uh, that people just shut their eyes to that and they're able to go on doing things that previously would have been illegal or would have been, uh, uh, you know, just yeah, n- not allowed. So repudiated. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and so that and you know, there's the other flip side as well. The other flip side is, on one hand, there's reward, and on the other, punishment. So it's my thought very much. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that everyone is utterly afraid in the Republican Party to be uh, pulled out on the carpet through Twitter by this president, and it's a public forum. And they are simply petrified at that potential. So they will stay in line so as not to be humiliated in front of their constituency, in front of their colleagues. And they will do anything, and they are doing anything. They are completely breaking the rule of law. They are dismissing principle. They are dismissing the Constitution, just as you're saying, just to protect their own as we say in Chinese, tukuses. And it's very embarrassing it's costing us our democracy. Yes, please. Yeah, and, and, and to show then how subtle it is and why people don't catch on to it is that the most innocent level, some of these politicians, if they're career politicians, in other words, their livelihood depends on getting reelected, at the innocent mm-hmm. level, they, they simply want to get reelected. So then that means if you have an autocratic leader in your party, then it means, you know, bowing down or falling into line behind that leader. Where what you're doing is you're putting second what's really involved with the morals and the ethics and the values. You're making that second to the primary need that you have, which is to get reelected. So you're kept in line. And this was really shown by what happened recently with the Christianity Today coming out with a statement mm-hmm. and then being hit with this backlash by other, other evangelicals. Because at the innocent level, Christianity was saying, uh, Christianity was saying, just look at the facts. 
we yeah. don't want to now we don't want to keep trading off to this guy with who doesn't have any of our values or any of our ethics or our standards just to get anti-abortion judges and just to get this or that go. political thing. But if you look mm-hmm. at the backlash, the backlash comes in and says no. You need to subvert the values and the ideals because this is politics. We need to get we need to get what we want. Now, what exactly. this uh, National Geographic you know special showed, and what psychosociology studies show, is that that what begins this stepwise process of it getting worse, more autocratic. Like for instance, when they were talking about the dictator in Zaire, uh, and when he made the transition from First of not first of all not let's say violently uh, coming after his opponents like putting them in jail or disappearing them or whatever that didn't start at the beginning that only started as he got more desperate and what was interesting is that he then doled out the role of those enforcers just like a mob boss does to someone around them so he could have clean hands but he would yeah. still you know by law he would have clean hands. But he actually yeah. had these people then who were disappearing people or putting people in jail. Now, you could actually say in a sense that's already happened here because Manafort's in jail. Cohen is yeah. in jail. Go through all the list of people who when they Michael tried Cohen. to speak. Yeah, Michael Cohen. They said, I was taking orders from the boss who speaks in code, that's by right. the way. You know, he knows how yes. to protect himself by not saying yes. things overtly. So what's interesting yes. is that what's happened in all of these marches toward potential dictatorship, because I'm not paranoid here. I'm not like on some you know bench yelling and screaming about this. What I'm trying to do is speak no, no. from what the academic literature says and what the psychological literature says. Sure. What happens is if you're not vigilant, then this creeps in. And I just want to point out that there's two or three Nobel Prize winners some of their names will come to me as we're, we're talking, I'm sure, because I'm 74, so I start to forget some names. But all <laughs> of them have actually said, pay attention, because if you don't pay attention to the loss of things step by step, you end up yeah. in a situation where they're gone and you don't know how it happened. And we're That's seeing right. that already. You could ask the question right now. Everybody could. If now anybody can buy an election from overseas. Any government, any rich dictator, anybody can come in and influence our elections, uh, and that's the new norm. Then, wow, then do we actually have any guarantee that, that our voting system is actually fair or you know real? Sure, sure. And so what we see then, all those points are so excellent. Uh, so kind of to zoom in on some of the specifics – although I so appreciate the sort of the more universal application of these ideas sort of that you glean from uh, psychosociology and the really excellent uh, program on National Geographic listing the what I remember you're saying were the 20 tenets of the formation of a dictator. And we have already with this particular administration passed some 15 of the 20 already. And, uh, you know, he hasn't even finished his first term. But just recently, there has been, uh, I think yesterday, he called out who he thought was the whistleblower. Now, it's whistleblower law. It's the 
Act, the Whistleblower Act, prohibits any elected official from naming that person publicly, and it is actually their solemn duty and oath to protect the name of the whistleblower publicly. So here he is in direct defiance again of a major piece of legislation, and we haven't heard one word talking about just laying down and being puppets, Kurt, of a Republican Party member who has been outraged at what he has already done. Comments? Yeah, and another another good example, which again, if the public's not uh, really alert, they, they don't see, is That's using right. this excuse that no statutory law was broken and then having to have constitutional lawyers like the fellow from Harvard and others who came in and said, look, the Constitution is not only also law, but it's the grandfather of laws. Now, what people may That's not right. understand is that the you only get elaborated statutory law when certain parts of constitutional law need to be further defined in detail so That's that right. it's very clear what a violation of those more Looks general like. tenets in the Constitution are. So you've got yes. law in the Constitution, which is very general, but a good example, if you look at the emoluments clause, it's never been elaborated to a great extent into statutory law because nobody violated it. So the problem right. is when, when Trump came in and started violating it willy-nilly, then you didn't have a detailed elaboration of how what the plan of attack is. It's like when you go to a doctor and if you've got a certain disease, there's a protocol that addresses that disease. But if you have a disease for which there's no protocol, then you're in this, in this limbo. And that's what's happened here where you've got a gap between constitutional law, which can be a few paragraphs written in 1779, you know, uh, yes. and it hasn't been elaborated into detailed statutory law, where someone That's would right. say, well, you're in violation of Clause 509-602 of the such-and-such such code. So the point is, if that is used as a way, a propaganda tool, to convince the American people, oh, no statutory law was broken, that, again, is a completely false narrative. And unless Correct. a person's educated or has some savvy at all, that's going to go right by them, and they're going to buy that. They're going to say, well, he didn't break any law. And that's that, exactly. over against exactly. things that so, for, you know, have been held you know, as constitutional for decades and over a century. What you're also implying here is that that's a very fine distinction uh, and relationship that you articulated about constitutional law and its relationship to statutory. There's another step here to take a look at, which is the literal, literal interpretation of the law and the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is as essential, in some ways perhaps more essential, because you can't possibly articulate in language every exception, exemption, or possibility. You can't do it. Yep. And, yep. Uh, you know, a uh, testament to that is the, the length of so many legal documents trying to cover every base. You can't 
do it. And the way you can actually do it is by saying there is an intent and spirit of this paragraph or of this document or of this law that states we will abide by certain fundamental societal understandings is the implication. Well, here the discussion about, well, he didn't break a statutory law is, as you're saying, completely meaningless because he broke the spirit of the law. So, again, there's another distinction to be made between there's the literal uh, interpretation, the spirit of the law, and then there are societal norms. So, for instance, an example of that is the disclosure of the tax filings of anyone running for president. Not even just the president, anyone running for president. And as you know, for the past 50 years, every single candidate has disclosed his tax returns, some for one year, some for five, maybe even some for more, but certainly one plus. Even Mitt Romney, who was probably no, I guess uh, Ross Perot was the first billionaire to run, uh, then Romney. Um, and even though he waited back, held back a little bit, he did disclose. And here is the first time, Kurt, as we both know, a president refused. He lied to the American public saying his, his filing was an audit and he could not release them. And there were two lies there. They weren't in audit, and even if they were, he could still release them. So here he is lying to what's become known as the Trump base, and forget the base, the entire population of the American citizenry lying to them over and over as a nominee. And all the other Republicans knew it full out. This man is a liar. And to this day, of course, they haven't been disclosed. So that's a norm, not a law. And when you have a child who is running around the playground and bullying kids and everybody knows it's not right, then if you can't teach him to restrain himself, you have to put restraints around him or maybe even around the entire class because of one really unruly bullying kid. And that's what we're facing. Now, one good thing about all this madness is that we see how we have to fence these things in by law because we see that one unruly kid can break all the norms and you have no defense against it. Yeah, see, what's interesting here, too, just uh, as another background, and I had this in my original notes and it didn't come up yet, is that, you know, we have to ask, what is the general trait in human beings that allows them to project onto a charismatic figure this yes. role which can exempt them from any type of, 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 of critical thinking or of criticism right. or, or, or keeping them in line? Well, in, again, the, in, the, in the academic literature of how religion works, it's called, it's called mm-hmm. magic mythic. It's all about a hero. And a superhero. Yes. So if you take a person who's been uh, a TV personality, who's projected himself as the great deal maker, the great this or that, 
doesn't seem to want to, you know, send his taxes, you know, uh, release his taxes to confirm whether that's true or not. He's also been yeah. convicted twice of charities fraud and on and on and on. But yeah, what yeah. happens is, like you said, in this book, I think it's called Dark Charisma, which is by this psychiatrist about how this all works with Trump. Mm-hmm. His followers create an irrational bond with him, just like like people have with all dictators, because yeah. – they project onto them what this person stands for in the sense of America of, of the 50s, men are in charge, white people are in charge, uh, the norms that we want to get back to. And this person becomes a savior in that sense to get them back to what they think yes. were those times where their group, if they were a right. man or they were white or whatever, that you know sure. they were safe. That this, this is what A golden age. To. Exactly. So they, they, they project onto this person. And, there, and this, what's interesting about this, and I hadn't thought about this a lot until I looked at that book, is that <clears throat> the very fact that that leader then talks in all kinds of contradictory terms, says one thing one day, one thing the next day, <laughs> you don't know what's true, you don't know what's not true, that actually yeah. reinforces the irrational bond. Again, people should think about yes. Hitler again. What was yes. that irrational bond that allowed them to overlook what became the Holocaust overlook what became all of those excesses. And what it was, was the projection onto this person, an idea of, oh, oh, they can't, they can't be that. They can't be bad. They, they, they stand for all of this. That's good. And that is the only thing that will explain when people ask evangelical leaders, why do you like bow down to this guy or as Rick Perry said, if, if you understand the Bible and understand the tradition, you know that Trump is the he's the one who's been sent. He's the chosen <laughs> one. You know. Well, how how does that happen when the person is associated with all of these immoralities, all these people in prison? Yes. The only answer is it's a psychological projection that not only these people believe in, but it's stronger than factual reality. Now, there's a whole strain in, again, you were talking about our uh, discussions with the Dalai Lama about evolutionary biologies, you know, look at all this. There's a whole way that human beings coming from clan and tribe and charismatic leader, look at all of our movies that are about superheroes and about saviors and messiahs. Um, There's a part in us that's almost built, if we're not careful, to have this uncritical, irrational you know, some yes. people might look at their last adoration. marriage and say that's, that's and what happened. adoration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Adora- yeah, and like I said, some people might look at their last marriage and say that's what they did. And then they found out yeah. two to three, four right. years later that the, what's inside the book wasn't <laughs> like the cover of, of the book. So the, <laughs> the point is that that's, that's very, very common, and it, it can be so powerful that it could actually upset an entire culture without yes. you know sneaking in little by little without anybody being aware that that may be what's uh going on really true really true and you know isn't it one of the 10 commandments kurt thou shall not worship icons <laughs> idols <laughs> worship yeah. any god but me right yeah and yeah, it, yeah in in effect that is this is a breakage so again going back to christianity today and the uh, abhorrent support of this man by the evangelicals is is insane because he's breaking 
I mean, forget about adultery. I mean, that's like long God, man. You know, yeah. one after the other. I mean, I would love to line up evangelicals yeah. with a big whiteboard and go yeah. from the beginning, point by point by point by point, and then say, this is what you have in this column, and then you have the appointment of anti-abortion judges in this column. You tell me, can you yeah. really stand by these unethical, immoral, outrageous breakage of even the Ten Commandments and say it's okay with you and your soul to abide by this? I've well, got to you know, say, I think there will yeah. be defections. Yeah, Sorry? well, here's the parallel that a lot of people don't even know about, and I remember when I first became aware of that. What happened with the Vatican and Pope Pius in World War II that made them silent to the Holocaust oh. and, and also complicit in the financial dealings of the Third Reich? And people don't realize what the trade-off was, is that mm -hmm. Mussolini and Hitler came to the Vatican and said, if you will keep your mouth shut, we will give you political independence. The whole political oh. independence of the Vatican was given to them by Mussolini and the Third Reich as a trade-off oh. for them to background themselves morally and ethically, though it wasn't stated oh. that way. And so, in other words, that's the example of the trade-off. In other words, if the evangelicals are getting their anti-abortion judges and they're getting radical free religion legislation, that means you can say no to a gay or you can say no to a, you know, a, a whatever. If they're getting that... Sure. They'll close their eyes completely, at least for a while, to everything yes. else. Because sooner or later, the Vatican had to come around and fess up to, yes, to what was going on. And, of course, Mussolini did too, because Hitler didn't tell Mussolini that he planned to invade Russia. And, and Mussolini was, he was beyond furious. I mean, if you figure that was the biggest yes. military blunder that Hitler made, and he never told one mm -hmm. of his partners. But the yes. point being is that... What the Vatican did was they said yes to independence in exchange for staying in the background. And so it's yes. amazing how religion has done this not once, not twice, <laughs> but religion has done yes. this many times. Historically, many times, yes. You know, you're making a series of, I think, very important psychological and rather subtle points, Kurt, and I very much appreciate it. And I, I think that uh, it shouldn't be lost on us, the subtlety involved in the coercion of the human psyche, because, in fact, that is what we are witnessing. Rational people, and while I may not agree with many Republican tenets, there are some that I probably do. And this is not about Republican or Democrat in my mind at all. But what we're facing is a subtle and gross levels of coercion. And it's based on a I, – I really do go back to a bullying mentality. It's a mobster mentality. And now I'm going to get kind of local here with his particular background and looking at the fact that his father brought him to a KKK meeting in Queens in, what was it, uh, the 1930s, I believe it was. This is documented that his father's name is on the registration list. They, as real estate uh, owners, 
were redlining and keeping blacks uh, out of their properties as long as they were able to get away with it. He was raised in a in a context where the mafia were prominent in dealing with real estate owners having to do with garbage, having to do with construction, having to do with cement pouring, on and on and on. So we cannot lose sight of the fact that he had very particular influences on him as a child, not to mention his rather unfortunate relationship with his own father where he was always seeking to impress daddy and what we know of that relationship is far from a very satisfying one or loving one for that matter uh being uh you know uh fred trump's son so when you look at all of this uh when you see that his great mentor over the years beside his father was roy Cohn, who is a known lawyer for the mob so where loyalty is the key word there's integrity no not even courage loyalty out of which would come courage and integrity in light of courage so when you see the particulars of this particular person and i always laughed myself because as i was putting myself through uh acupuncture school i worked part-time with uh a close friend of mine in the world of uh, New York real estate. And I was a young kid at the time, but I had opportunity to sit in a an midtown office with a fellow who was a big shot, and I was uh, a mosquito, and uh, who called in but Donald Trump to boss this guy around, knocked him around, insulted him over and over again out of the blue, was hollering at the poor guy. And this guy, who did not know me from Adam, it was the first time we met, actually, to a stranger, rolled his eyes up like, who is this guy? And he said, yes, Donald. Yes, Donald. Of course, Donald. I handled that all day. I handled that already, Donald. Thanks, Donald. Click. And he couldn't wait to get off the phone, and I didn't blame him. I heard the harassment right before my 25-year-old ears. Um, additionally, uh, these are like direct Yeah, it's, you know, it's experience. a really good point that you make. I mean, when a lot of us old-time New Yorkers go out to see our friends in the Midwest, and we say very often, look, those of us from New York, and of course, uh, you know, uh, Bloomberg has said this publicly recently in his ads. I mean, yes. those of us from yes. New York who've known Trump for a long time, we've known that he's a he's a con man and he's just out to do to tell whatever yeah. story will get him what he wants and we remember exactly. you know the Central Park Five and we remember the birther movement and we remember of all of the civil rights violations and housing and now of course we've got Trump University charities fraud and Trump Foundation charities fraud now all of us knew this now why this doesn't get any attention elsewhere is exactly. because the magical silver tongue of the demagogue of making America great again and this or that, exactly. blah, blah, blah. you got to remember there exactly. was a whole time when Trump was pro-choice. When it served him, That's Trump right. was pro-choice. And he was a Democrat. He was, he was, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And so the thing that's interesting is that when you look at the, let's get kind of the Machiavellian aspect of this, 
is that it, it's pretty obvious that, that Trump has known, and he banked on this as he came down the escalator and made his first anti-Mexican speech, that there's a percentage, maybe somewhere between 35 and 40 percent, hopefully not more, of Americans who are entrenched in that narrative. And for political reasons alone, he has known that he can use that 35 to 40 percent to be his base, yeah. his fulcrum point, to be yeah. able to, 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 do, to do what he does. And most of the things that he spouts out to them, those of us who've known him for decades here in New York, no, they never stood for those things. Yeah. Those are all just ploys. Yeah. That, that's what the con man does. People realize con man comes from the word confidence man, and it means that he gains yeah. your confidence. And once that's he has right. your confidence, then you find you're willing to walk you. along until that's you have right. a moment. And who's had these moments? Look at, look at, look at uh, Michael Cohen's moment when he decided, oh, my God, I'm going to be thrown under the bus, and maybe right. I should start telling the truth. But you could ask that's who right. paid attention. You know, who That's paid attention? Right. Exactly. It was a little late, but absolutely true. David Frum just wrote an article I saw published this morning in The Atlantic uh, calling him a gangster, just in the title of the article. And I was really relieved because this is the kind of – I've given talking points to Nancy Pelosi and Schumer about – the way to refer to this man, the occupant of the White House, the illegitimate. I, I think there are ways of speaking that will get under his skin, which she's doing very well right now. But what you're saying is uh, it's really connoting uh, its con man slash rainmaker archetype. Yeah, absolutely. Promising yeah. the yep. – right? promising the world and people yeah. who are in pain and suffering and disgusted yeah. with the status quo for good reason uh, yep. will cotton to such a one. And I do agree very much with Andrew Yang's point, which is that, uh, and many of us have been saying this from the get-go, which is that Trump is really a problem in himself. Of course he is, so clearly, but he's really a symptom of a much larger malaise, which is that the uh, the populace has been betrayed by their representatives because we live, as you and I know, Kurt, in a corporatocracy. And it's disgusting. It's been the case for a long, long time. And it's coming home to roost. People are going, as Bernie Sanders says, Hundreds of thousands of people a year go bankrupt because they cannot pay for their medical care. What an outrage in the richest company, country in the world. What is going on? They're sick of it, and they saw. I don't know why they see a reality star billionaire who bankrupts others as their savior, but apparently he was able to sweet-talk enough people, you know, your thoughts. Yeah, there, there's definitely something about. I know when Marianne Williamson was saying that he had successfully released this dark energy in people. There's a yes. real truth in that, and because, for instance, yes. if you look at, for instance, when he said those negative things about the um, the famous Michigan statesman, and he said he may be in hell now, or he, in, you know, inferred he may be yes. in hell. And that was really a yeah. low blow. So the number of people behind him that loved that and they were laughing 
and they were snickering. There's, again, one of the dark parts of human nature that likes to see others hurt, that will identify with seeing others hurt. Now, this is interesting because you look at the he's been such a big supporter of, of the whole wrestling phenomenon, which, again, yes. is a drama of people. It's a stage drama, but it's a stage exactly. drama of people hurting other people, kind of like a mirror of the old gladiatorial games, where then the crowd mm-hmm. will cheer Definitely. when someone starts to bleed or they'll cheer when someone is body slammed. So there's a weird part of our nature that if we're not careful, we'll applaud that. Now, one other thing I want to say is that to show you again how this can be innocent for some people to fall into this, and you brought it up earlier, and I just wanted to to go with it. Like, If you look at the history of our Supreme Court and the difference between conservative constitutional interpreters and liberal constitutional interpreters – that has to do with whether you go by what's written in the law or you go That's by right, the spirit. spirit of the law. And mm-hmm. there's one group in our country that would like to see things particularly stay the way they were that will say, no, it's only there if it's written. So, for instance, if you look at equal rights, well, what does equal rights mean? Well, does it actually include gay people? Well, now a conservative judge would say, I don't see gay people in a, written down there. So it must not include gay people, whereas the liberal judges, they'd say, well, the spirit of the law is that equal equal rights are equal rights, and that that changes with cultures over time relative to how they understand demographics, and therefore equal rights is for you know gay people, straight people, blah, 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 blah. It's for, so in other if, words, it's and for all people. that's a big people. part of the, of, of the game, even the whole thing of pro-life yes. or pro-choice whether you're doing Roe v. Wade and, you know, right to life or, you know, you know, for instance, you can have people, let's say like ourselves, that in the great wisdom traditions, we would prefer that you didn't have to have abortions because we would prefer that you didn't have to endanger fetuses and you didn't have to have children born into poverty and so on like that. But what what we make the decision that it's more important that a person can choose relative to our deciding that they don't have any choice, and we'll make that That's right. decision for them. So it, it, it gets dicey. And and the other That's point right. I want to point out is that a lot of people don't realize, and I spent some time studying this because it surprised me, that in the 30s, before Hitler came to power per se in Germany, there were fascist movements in every country in Europe, in Belgium, in Luxembourg, in, in uh, you, you just go through all of them, in, in the Netherlands, there was a fascist group and a fascist leader there during that same time in the 30s. Now, here's the point. What they had in common were some of the basic values that that the, that National Socialism or the Nazis had. And what was that? Mm-hmm. It was for law and order, enforceable mm-hmm. social norms, getting the trains on time. I remember everybody – I have a lot of old Italian friends before they died – he used to say, oh, we love Mussolini because the trains ran on time, but that's before oh. he started doing all this other stuff. But the point is you can have certain values in common with an yes. emerging demagogue or dangerous person, and you sure. can have those completely innocently. And I think yes. with a lot of people who ally with with Trump, it, it, it has that, that kind of innocence to it because maybe yes. they'll get a job. Maybe things will be better for them economically. Maybe when he promises this or that, that might be true. 
You know, so right. it, it, it really it, means that's what it. I meant by all the layers here. There's so many layers. That's right. There are. And he's a billionaire. Um, so therefore, maybe he's going to really do something for us. There's this magical thinking that gets engaged and this sort of fantastical, phantasmagorical ideation that kicks in that maybe by voting for a man who I believe is so rich, which I don't believe he is, by the way, um, some of that will somehow rub off on me, a lowly farmer in Iowa who is struggling to pay his bills, you know, yeah, or what happened. It sounds as utterly crazy as it really is. Exactly, Sorry. especially the guy who was projected on Celebrity Apprentice to make all these other people successful. Yes. You know, that was the great projection. You know, if you go work for the Donald, that's going to be your trip to being, uh, you know, that's what he promised in all of his courses. I mean, Trump University, all of the fake real estate courses were him and, and, you know, everybody, you know, he settled like for $24 million out of court on this, you know, know, blah, 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 and admitted that it was fraudulent. You know, that's what he was promising is you can be as successful as I am. Which, which exactly. of course, if you go to any seminar of any financial they person always promising promise that. that. <laughs> exactly. They all <laughs> promise that, exactly. exactly. But, you know, so take Mitch McConnell, take um, Marco Rubio, take Ted Cruz, take Mitt Romney, for that matter, because he's really, he's lined up less, but he's still part of this guard, and why do they not same that like I want that big whiteboard in front of the evangelicals? So I want that same whiteboard in front of these gentlemen, and I'm using that word a little broadly just now, and and say, look at this, look at this, look at this. Are you truly willing to abide by a man who clearly has no character worth your attention? And that is destructive to our environment. We haven't even touched on his attitude toward the environment or representing you in your country here at home and abroad. And to a person, I don't believe there would be one who said, that's our man. (laughs) They made the point during these congressional uh, hearings that even though these Jordans of the world and the rest of them that were doing everything they could to just tear apart the democratic perspective, not one of them said he is a good man and he stands for what's right and good. None of them said that. They said a lot of things, but no one ever extolled the virtues of his character because they're not yeah, there. Yeah, and, and see that what John what John Dean has said about that is that, and it answers your question, is that in the Watergate situation, where now they look back yes. and they actually say that if Nixon hadn't resigned, he might have well have been acquitted in the Senate. He might have well have been oh able to. My. So the, the difference is that the Republican that leadership looked at that whiteboard, and at a certain point, because they held the basic American values, and the American, you know, rule of law, separation of powers, accountability, blah, 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 they went to him and they said, this isn't going to work. Um, you know, we can't guarantee you that you can stay in office. Because yeah. you have to ask if he would have decided not to resign, 
But then yes. you would have decided to stonewall and pull them all in line for the mm-hmm. sake of the party. People are saying now he might have actually had enough votes not not to be convicted. So that That's was the removed. difference, yeah. that you had a Republican Congress back then that was able to look at that whiteboard and, as you kind of say, pull pull the plug. But now, yes. if they're yes. also saying, well, we can get by with anything, and the Constitution really doesn't matter, and the norms for the future relative to safe elections and relative to accountability between the three branches and whether the president's accountable to any law. I mean, if he can't be indicted and he can't be successfully impeached, then he actually is a dictator. Hello. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's something right. that people have – thank God Jerry Nadler's made that clear. If there's no accountability, yes. then the guy actually yeah. is a dictator. But, right. you know, I think a lot of the people, for instance, if you look at Romney and, and others like that, they're still like a lot of people in the late 30s in Germany where they're they're hoping they can cut their losses. Like I think, yes. you know, because what was it that somebody said, um, uh, well, the guy from Arizona, what's his name? I forget. But he was saying that people that Republicans in the Congress say one thing completely differently privately about where they're at on Trump than what they say publicly. You know, they have to follow mm-hmm. him. I think he said that he, he's talked to over 30 of them who say oh, that yes. if they could actually speak their mind, um, privately. You know, then they, yeah, then they would that they, they, they want to get rid of it. privately, guy. he would be out in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Quite possibly. Sure. But, you know, this goes back to something I was saying earlier, Kurt, that the Republican Party, True Republicans, for sure, and some of the semi-Republicans, were absolutely repelled by his nomination, and that he was even running and treating the rest of the nominees, uh, potential nominees, as horribly as he was. So he demeaned and declassed the entire process, obviously. And... uh, you would have thought, I would have thought, that they would have welcomed the democratic courage to finally, after three years, from my point of view, I was uh, agreeing with Representative Green from the beginning. He deserved to be impeached on day one. Uh, And I can actually explain that. But uh, just for the moment, um, uh, they would have just been overjoyed and would have welcomed the opportunity to say, you know, come to think of it, I think, Mr. Uh, Democratic Congress people, you're right, and Mrs., you're right, and it is time for us to take a good, hard look at the behaviors of this man and really reexamine this, not from a political point of view, but from a, a principled and constitutional point of view. But at least so far, they haven't done it. And I'm all in favor of Pelosi continuing to hold the cards regarding sending this uh, impeachment articles to the Senate. I think she is a strong player, and she ought to continue to demand a legal trial, not a kangaroo court. Yeah, and I think where the the big watershed is going to be, given how this all plays out, is who will actually win in 2020. 
I think one can say for sure that if Trump loses in 2020, kind of like Ruth Gator Ginsburg said, that this anomalous era is over, and then we can hopefully yes. go back to norms are respected, the law is respected, separation of powers is is uh, you know is respected, yes. blah blah blah. But let's face it, if he's but. reelected in 2020. And there's That's never right. been any accountability in the first term. We probably are likely on our way to being, like it or not, a, ban- a banana republic. In other words, we'll be like Russia, Correct. where we have a constitution, but doesn't mean anything. We'll be like mm-hmm. Turkey, where they have a constitution, doesn't mean anything. We'll be like mm-hmm. Hungary, which has a constitution, yes. but it doesn't mean anything. And these are all Trump's friends. These are the guys he hangs yes. out with. Uh, and that's why, you know, in this blog that we have, this email thread, we've talked mm-hmm. about this little friendly group of autocratic personalities who yes. love to just give all the orders themselves. Evidently, they've convinced their country and little by little taken away checks and balances that would prevent that, that that's mm-hmm. a trade off that's okay with them for whatever reason. But the problem with that historically is it always gets worse. I mean, one thing that this National Geographic thing said, and Pelosi and and uh, and and, uh, and Nadler ha- have said it as well, is that once a person is unbridled, the excesses increase. If he does it once, mm-hmm. he does it again, does it again. It's like a it, quantum every leap. Every one of those 15 case studies, every one of those autocrats got worse over time. So yeah. I think that's yeah. the watershed. Is twenty twenty may actually, f- yeah, yeah. Idi Amin was another one in that study. Absolutely, right. there were fifteen. Exactly. Yeah, and he no, just got a worse. Very worse important the point. And while I would like to come back to a point regarding the evolutionary and altruistic biological basis to our species, and I see a. Something in what you said, I'd like to bring up a point, but before that, based on what you just said, Kurt, I am surprised that the more astute Republicans are not looking at the geopolitical scenario that is being created right under our eyes. This moment, talk about North Korea and the extreme polarization that is occurring now. Forget about the meeting in Singapore and Vietnam. It's meaningless because, if anything, it's exacerbated the anger and ire and perhaps wrath of Kim Jong-un because he feels like he's been personally betrayed by the president. He had the pleasure of the meeting, if you want to call that pleasure, um, but he had the, uh, the celebrity of the meeting. And now the guy hasn't come through whatsoever, and he's fit to be tied. So we know that exercises are taking place performed by him um, that are not pretty. That's number one. But there is an alliance. There is a shifting of the entire geopolitical power narrative. And that is China, Russia, and Iran have just aligned. And they're about to start doing joint military exercises. I don't remember exactly what they're called. There's a name to it. But this polarization that make America great again ourselves and (laughs) and, uh, eschewing our allies, correct, Uh, it is forcing 
these others to join together because they see how crazy this guy is. And now also Macron is having conversations with Putin. Think of it what you will. And the rest of the EU will do the same because this madman is driving them to do it because he's so disloyal to now, I don't believe in the whole geopolitical game of chess anyway. I have an entirely different way of believing that we could advance our species on that global platform, but that's not for this discussion. Um, but taking the game pieces as they stand and what's happening, there is a seismic shift occurring, and for the... Uh, Republicans not to see this as a direct function of this pathological president is beyond my my wildest dreams. Yeah, there was actually someone on uh, a TV uh, dialogue show again who addressed this and somebody very, very highly qualified and who knows um, a lot of these politicians and is a, you know, a scholar and, you know, therefore – and basically said, I know most of these Republicans, and the answer to that question is they don't yeah. have the intellectual acumen to actually understand these things at that global, big-picture level. level. They're oh, thinking about God. getting reelected. They're thinking about money. They're thinking about their local power. They're thinking Thank about you. all of these little things, and they, they do not then comprehend. They don't have the intellectual ability to comprehend these larger things. Now, that actually jumps to your second point, because one thing that David Sloan Wilson, in his second book now, which came out in February, on the, all this new thinking in evolutionary biology, he brings up very, very clearly the, the power that a potential counterfactual false narrative <clears throat> can have or could have in a culture. And what he asks is, how far can the counterfactual narrative go to where you it do, where it actually adds up to not being able to make realistic sit, uh, decisions about reality itself? Now, the the good example would be the two that the Dalai Lama talked about with us in November when we were at his mm -hmm. home, and that is uh, climate change and greed is good. If you can't see that greed is good and the disparity of, of wealth in the world and all of that is one of the things driving us to potential extinction, well then, yeah. <laughs> good luck. And if you can't see <laughs> that climate change is also driving us to extinction, then also good luck. But the point being is if you're a climate denier and if you're a wealth disparity denier because you do not entertain any of the potential results of that over time, then you mm -hmm. you just actually bought your your culture and your species into doomsday scenario. And a good example is the yes. current president of Brazil, who seems mm -hmm. to be fine with just letting the rainforest go down in the name of short-term right. economic success. Profit. Which is just mm -hmm. like that's like psychosis. Correct. But that that Correct. would really it's tend, not recognizing consequences of actions, exactly. which is the problem we have with with five-year-olds. Exactly, and my friends who just came back from COP25 in Europe, which for people who don't yeah. know what COP25 was, it was all the, the great climate change discussions at a global level. They came back actually saying it doesn't look good. It, it looks yeah. like the people in power will let us go over the cliff because they honestly can't comprehend, don't see, 
or their own, you know, greed for me is what I want. They just don't see it. And they came back saying that if it's true that a 1.5 to 2 degree differential changes everything with regard to food production, everything with regard to domestic livestock, everything with regard to all of these basic... Sea rise change. Sea level change. Exactly. That if that goes past a certain point, it's not reversible. It's over. Uh, it's, it's a downward spiral then of yes. millions of people dying, of billions of people dying. And if you didn't see that coming, well, then, um, you know, you, it, but it, what is sad you. is that we would have a president yes. who's blind like that at this critical time. So two things happen, That's correct. which you've said That's many correct. times. Either it shines the spotlight so people wake up. In other words, some people have said Trump is good news because it can look so bad then that people wake up. Yes. But if they actually don't wake up because they don't pay attention, then what <laughs> what a pilot to have in the pilot house as the ship's going down, right? Exactly, exactly. We're just uh, moving the uh, furniture around on the deck of the Titanic. Yeah. You know, or buying new furniture. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because of the consumerist society. Um, there, are, you've made several points, Kurt that sort of beg this distinction between self and service to other, which, of course, is the basis of the evolutionary biological notion of altruism. And so I, I wish I could just directly recount the moment when I, you triggered this thought, but it was when people were busy, and in fact, we just made it, about the politicians who do not have the intellectual acuity and acumen to see the larger global scenario changing before our very eyes, literally day by day and week by week, of what the power game is, because they're too busy about their own re-election. So here is the extrapolation. When we're focused on self, doo-doo happens. (laughs) When we look outside of ourselves at the well-being and common ground of all, the commons, then we have the intelligence to play and maneuver and serve for the common good. So... Could you comment on that from a point of view yeah. of your well, well, the, and David good, Wilson's yeah. work? Yeah. The good news would be that modern mainstream evolutionary biology says unequivocally that at the individual, at, at the level of individuals, competition gets chosen for, but at the level of groups or hierarchies, process always chooses cooperation. Now, that would seem to be intuitive also because obviously all of us have seen that at higher levels of complexity, cooperation is needed or the result is chaos. I mean, you have to have mm-hmm. stoplights. You have to, you know, right. So yes. evolution will choose the best group behavior that's aimed at high values, cooperation, altruism, mutuality, reciprocity, kindness, and compassion. But it can only choose those if they're there to be chosen. Now, the way that exactly the way natural selections work is like in the market. If you're in a business and you have a product, that's what you put into the market. The market's natural yeah. selection. It says yes or no. Your product either sells or it doesn't sell, and you tank. 
So it's the same thing. So evolution may want those behaviors that it would select because why? Because it advances the whole. It's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. It's like in Surely. your body. You have a you take out where the cancer is, or you remove the organ that's diseased, so that the rest of the collective does not, you know, end up dying as, as well. So it, 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 it's, it's a no-brainer. It's but the, the principle of a chain is as we, strong as its weakest link. Exactly. But if we're not offering those models and those ways of being, which can then win out, um, you know, then then you can actually have evolution taking you in a way that it doesn't really want to go or you don't really want to go, but you were not aware enough to be, as, as again, as David Sloan Wilson says, in the driver's seat. Now, a major point that he made to the Dalai Lama, which is really, it's, it is an important point. He said, if we had a high values worldview and we got in the driver's seat and we said, we're going to drive toward that omega point, toward those high values, whether there's a God or there's not a God. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the power of the narratives is that you say you have a high-value goal. You can say that and you can steer in that direction, and, and that's as powerful. And that's why counterfactual narratives are so scary, because we've mm-hmm. seen from Trump they can be equally powerful if you're believing yes. something that's not true. Yes, yeah, so for a conscious species with 9 billion people on a fragile planet trying to grow enough food, go through the whole list, have enough resources for energy and everything else, if we can't make decisions in line with evolutionary process, we will tank. And so the, the result is, like, like he says in all that, we have to identify what things are in line with evolutionary process and what are not. Now, climate change, uh, you know, abuse of the climate is not. It's going to it starts a downward spiral. Greed is good is not. It starts a downward spiral. But if you don't yes. sort those things out, then like he says the process is taking you somewhere where you didn't want to go, but it's too late. So yep. that's the exactly. thing now is alertness to the highest values possible. It's exactly what the Dalai Lama was saying, and getting in the driver's seat. Because the other point that the Dalai Lama makes in his book, which is an ethics for for uh, for the whole world, is that, that that value system, which has the highest set of goals, doesn't have to, it can be based on perennial philosophy, it can be based on humanism, it can be based on the great religious traditions, it can be based on any place that those high values are discovered. Look at your look at your own marriage. Anybody listening to this call, do you want a bad mm-hmm. one or a good one? Obviously, you'd like to have a good one. But what is that saying? <laughs> you'd love to have mutuality, reciprocity, kindness, compassion. You would choose that hands down over a life of misery. That's a no-brainer. So we we don't even have to have absolute ideas of what's true cosmically to have a high values goal. And I think that is something. One of the wonderful things about Greta Thunberg is speaking out about that radical world that her generation would 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 like to see and and demanding nothing less than that. I mean, it's certainly yes. powerful. So that's that's the good yes. news. I mean, and and the yes. fact that David Sloan Wilson and I just wrote an article in the. Uh, Integral Leadership Review, which we ended with the sentence is that the good news is that the the world is full of champions of those high value goals, and you're one of them. 
Mitchell, everyone we work with is one of them, and and that's where the that's yeah. where the good news is. Thank you, Kurt. I appreciate that, and I wanted to also say, in light of that, uh, despite the inane leadership we have in positions of political power, there is, and my dear friend, a green economist and futurist, Hazel Henderson, reminds me frequently that there is over $11 million, uh, I'm sorry, $11 trillion invested in the green, renewable, sustainable economy worldwide to date. And it continues to grow. So there are a series, and this is in light of your and my work in the space of conscious entrepreneurism and conscious business, Kurt, and social entrepreneurism, that there is a an eagerness and an excitement and a, uh, a steadfastness regarding and steadfastness regarding the building of a renewable, sustainable economy, moving away from fossil fuels and going forward to creating a no-waste, zero-waste society where all waste is converted to renewable energy. And it's incredibly exciting because I am very much sort of in the middle of a number of these types of business initiatives. So it's always been business and the economy that really leads politics. It's really, you know, the titans of our country that dictated politics. And I think it goes way too far. But uh, the good news is that when you have men and women of ethical stature and moral compass who have the foresight and recognition of consequences, as our native elders have been telling us about looking downstream seven generations, having the wisdom to think about my current daily actions and how they will be affecting our future children. That is the type of thing that is happening more and more. So, yeah, I too feel very uplifted by that. Yeah. Two, two things as we close out, because you've been a contributor yes. to this forthcoming magazine. People should be aware that yes. we have a new magazine imprint coming out called Conscious Business. Uh, Mitchell has a, an article in it, actually some of the greatest thinkers, uh, Irvin Laszlo, Paul Pullman, uh, Ken Wilbur. We go through the whole list of, of change agents and business leaders, Deepak Chopra. Um, so watch for this magazine, Conscious Business. It'll be a period in January. It's easy to find online. It's free. Uh, it's at www.issuu.com slash light on light. Say that again. It's www.issuu slash light on light. And you'll see it there along with also our thought leader issues that Mitchell's also been a part of and our spirituality and inspired lifestyle issues that Mitchell's always been a part of. And then the last thing that I want to note is that one thing that David Sloan Wilson says in his work, and it was great to hear him really say this to the Dalai Lama, that as far as evolution goes, there's nothing more powerful than a group of givers. A group of givers oh. is the most powerful thing that nature Isn't has that to beautiful. offer. 
when you're in between and you have a mixture of givers and takers, now think of every group you're a part of. When you have a mixture <laughs> yeah. of givers and takers, it's a matter of whether the takers will take to the point of wiping out the givers or the givers may get their higher values uh, you know, understood by, by the takers. But as far as evolution goes, there's nothing more powerful than a group of givers. That's a beautiful, beautiful note to end on, Kurt. I just so appreciate it. I'm so glad you gave the website so people can go and uh, read what we've written and uh, enjoy the uplifting material that's there of, as you say, consummate professionals uh, that are helping to generate the thinking and the actions needed to, uh, well, how do I put it, create a better world? Sounds good. Absolutely. And and anybody who said, oh, you didn't name any women, well, Lynn Twist, Michelle Hunt, Claudia Welch, there are as many uh, enlightened uh, feminine business thinkers as there are men, thank God, today. So. Oh, boy, is that the truth. And Lynn Twist is a friend. I love her dearly. She's been so accomplished. And I'm connected with her also through, I mean, I interviewed her for The Soul of Money back in 2008 when it first came out, but uh, also through the Pachamama uh, Pachama Alliance where I am a facilitator of the Game Changer Intensive and Awakening the Dreamer seminar. So uh, she is just another exemplar of how to take money and put it to intelligent use. So uh, very grateful that she's part of what we're doing as well. So. Kurt Johnson, just thank you so much for all of your input today and your your good thinking and caring about outcomes here on our precious planet and uh, in general and about our current political process uh, in particular here in the United States and the ramifications uh, when we do not examine a lot of the key elements here. Uh, and what it could mean if we're really not attentive. So yeah. thank you, thank you for bringing that up to us. Yeah, you're welcome, and so I'm glad we had it. the idea to have this discussion. So. Me too, me too. To be continued? Yeah, absolutely. All of us and many of you who are listening, this is an evolutionary leader world and a thought leader world, and thank God there are hundreds and thousands of you all out there, so everybody That's just needs sure. to keep doing more of what they're doing. That's right, exactly. Thanks again, Kurt, and you and I will be in touch very soon. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Good night now. Kurt Johnson, such a thoughtful, thoughtful scholar uh, with just one of those extraordinary science and spirituality backgrounds from being a scientist who was associated with the uh, Museum of Natural History for many years, as well as a former monk. Uh, and he's been involved with Ken Wilber and other thought leaders around the world, really, as I mentioned, and he did as well. Uh, he and uh, David were recently uh, invited by His Holiness the Dalai Lama to sit and help to educate the Dalai Lama about the evolutionary uh, biological basis of altruism and cooperation. And uh, indeed, even if it doesn't look like it's real, it is. And uh, 
as Kurt also wisely said, you have to have the stuff there in order for it to grow, i.e. kindness and cooperation. You have to have the raw material, and then evolution will ultimately select for it. So it's up to us to create that kindness if it doesn't happen automatically. So on that note, I want to just thank all of you for tuning in and listening again today. Make sure to contact me at mjr at abetterworld.net. I love getting your feedback. mjr at abetterworld.net. That's direct to me, as well as visit our website and get onto our weekly newsletter at www.abetterworld.net abetterworld.tv that's abetterworld.tv and for my counseling and coaching and energy balancing services visit www.mitchellrabin.com that's m-i-t-c-h-e-l-l r-a-b-i-n dot com I want to just thank you all for listening so appreciate it and I look forward to seeing you for more next week (laughs) 